0: probate is if, if the threshold of your assets is one hundred and fifty thousand or more, then you pay you probate court approximately six to ten percent of the value of your entire estate before all of your assets can be distributed and before probate can be closed.
1: Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Welcome to the Rock
2: Your Retirement Show. I'm so glad that you chose to listen today. I have Karen Schumacher on the phone with me, and she has been an attorney since 2001. And you're asking, well, why are we talking to an attorney because we don't talk about money on this show? And that's true. We tend not to, but Karen has some very interesting things to talk to us about as far as what documents we should have when we set up. Having the proper documents is one way to have a fabulous retirement lifestyle so that you can rock your retirement. And she is actually very compassionate. She's accomplished, and she's a dedicated um, attorney. She's an elder law attorney, and she has been working with elder law and advocacy Legal Aid Society, and the San Diego Volunteer Lawyer Program. She's effectively served over 12,000 clients. Oh my goodness, that is absolutely (laughs) crazy. And I'm going to let her talk about what she does and how she can help you, the listener. So Karen, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. The 12,000 clients that I've served have been over the uh, 15 years that I've been in practice, but they have been wide and varied. I like to say that I'm a holistic practitioner where I know a lot about many things, but I'm not an expert on anything, which is beneficial because at least I train or advise us to the best route to take and the best thing to do. My expertise is founded in uh, estate planning and it's where, because of things that have happened to me, things that have happened to clients that has actually driven me to this road. And I got my start ironically at three three of the public interest law firms in San Diego, and never started out that way. I always say that opportunity is where you are at the right place at the right time and make that choice. and that's what I did with this because I found that a lot of people really did need this help, and I also did it in such a way that my moose helps more of those that don't have the financial means. I mean, if you've got a huge estate, and you have over $10 million, who of us do, then you should be paying to protect that, to grow that, to make sure that it's there for your loved ones. By the same token, if you don't have that in your, as an asset, then you want to have something that you can still accomplish those goals, but don't have to pay the high cost of an attorney that will accomplish them, but at a higher rate. I've learned this through the years that I worked in public interest because so many people wanted a trust because they knew that would be the way that they could avoid probate. And if anybody knows anything about probate, they know how incredibly exhausting, expensive, stressful, and time-consuming that could be. Everybody would always, every presentation I provide people, I ask them how many have been through probate, and I get a lot of groans and grins of saying that it's not something that people want to do. And it's because of the cost and the stress and all of the work that is entailed in that. And everybody says, oh, it's not a problem. It is because the court system really has a lot of bells and whistles and hoops you have to jump through in order to get the estate of the deceased person into the hands of that person wanted or failing them making a will. It would be statutory, meaning if they didn't make a will, the law has already set into place in California that this is who receives what if there is no will.
2: Let's circle back to something that you said in the beginning, and that is that something happened to you that made you want to do this. Do you care to expand on that? What What happened?
0: Sure. My grandfather was a very well-to-do man. He was a business owner. He owned uh, three Auto supply stores, and he, at the time when he passed away, which was in seventy five he had over ten million dollars, and he wanted his children and grandchildren to receive that. The problem was that the choices he made unbeknownst to him at the time because most people you, know, you depend on the experts, and he depended on a certain trustee was a corporate trustee who basically did not keep the interests of the beneficiaries, which were his two daughters and five grandchildren. And it created a point where all the money ended up being squandered and the family sued the corporate trustee. And we ended up with pennies on the dollar because of that. And it was established that there was wrongdoing, but it was it was something that we had no control over as beneficiaries. I was still a minor. And so seeing that, and then also in the years that working with people that they were what we call cash poor, but asset rich, they owned a home. And basically anybody in California that owns a home will be subject to probate unless they're able to avoid that via a trust, a joint tenancy, tenants in common, or some other avenue. However, each of these other avenues come with their own set of problems.
2: Okay, so so let's go back. I'm sorry cuz a lot of my listeners no, no. they're not financial planners and you're using some technical terms that people might not understand. But let's go back to your grandfather. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that corporate fiduciaries or I'm not sure what you call them people who manage estates that they are not overseen by anybody? I mean, how can that happen? It seems to me that a corporate trustee would be the way to go, right? Because there's no infighting with the families. So what happened?
0: And again, sometimes they work out best. But given that at the time there was far less oversight, and now, in fact, corporate trustees have are regulated. Back in 75, they were not. And on top of that, there was infighting. Even though there was a corporate trustee, there was also infighting, and that created a problem. And it was also that my grandfather was not fully advised, even though he he owned his own company and did, did very well at it. The bank, as a trustee, did not hold his best interest at heart, which included how he wanted it presented to the grandchildren and to his children. And as any litigation holds, anybody can sue any anybody for anything in America, and it just it got to that point and that's not to say that that there isn't an absolute need for a corporate trustee, and I would recommend that to somebody that did have the the large income and and assets because that is something that you need. You just have to be leery and cautious of who you choose. you know not everybody out there that hangs a shingle should be doing the work and and doing it well.
2: Well, I'm sure that you have partners that that do this when the need arises, correct, and and you've vetted them
0: yes, yes, as in as in uh, colleagues that I work with yes right, yes. right. And, and that's because my decision is to work on this level, and with these people that I used to call myself, or I still believe that I'm the attorney for the Yederman, the one that just needs the you know couple bells and whistles, because don't you find that when there are so many things that you have to know you it makes you paralyzed and you do nothing. The
2: vast majority of people. What did you say? The attorney for the what? What was that word you used? Oh, for the What? What is that?
0: (laughs) It's a German term. I'm German Schumacher. And so Jedermann means everyone so that we know that we're not just that you don't have to be in this big position that more of the population isn't high wealth. I mean, in fact, less than two percent of the entire population makes anywhere near the amount of, of money that that would put them in the position to want to really protect their assets. The vast majority of people on this planet, as we know, they call what in America we call um, you know the the middle class. They're the ones that need help. But because even some attorneys charge a considerable amount for the ones that would just need simple estate planning and don't need to get into all of the what ifs, because. The vast majority of the times these things don't occur. What will occur is that they die, they have assets, they want them distributed, and they want an easy way for their trustee—that's the person that you name—to carry out your wishes. Can can handle the plan because there, there are trusts out there that are 150, 200 pages, and most people don't want to go through that. And they realize each one of those pages have input and have import, and so it's more difficult to have to do that. And most people choose. Because of the cost involved, most people choose will choose a family member or um, a friend, and so the simpler the better. And that's not to say. I mean, I see myself as someone that has gone through and basically translated a lot of these concepts and am able to parlay them to the to my clients and explain it to them so that they know what is actually happening. And on the same vein, I saw many, many, many trusts and wills that were not reflective of the client's wishes, and they said, well, that's just what the attorney said. Now, you know, I I don't know every attorney, and I'm certainly, um, I have respect for all the attorneys, but sometimes people have a tendency to go overboard, and even as associated with your phone. If you have so many bells and whistles, how many of those are you really going to use? You just want to get it to do A, B, and C. Unless you're a real techno genius and then, then, uh, you know, you get embarrassed and, and you still don't do it. But <laughs> I, I mean, I, it's just much easier to know what you know and don't overcomplicate things.
2: So you're really kind of you're really kind of like the attorney with a heart that deals with regular everyday people. Not the ultra right. high-end wealthy people.
0: Exactly. I, and also want the other benefit of the other documents that we were um, going to get into is that it's not just financial assistance. This also helps with um, one's wishes, one's choices in life, one's end-of-life choices. All of these things are vital on top of and in concert with, with the, their wealth. And everybody does have a wealth if they own a home in California, or even if they don't, they have bank accounts or any other kind of wealth and they want it delivered and uh, distributed to their loved ones, then that is an asset.
2: So we are speaking with Karen Schumacher of AsarEstatePlanning.com, and we'll be right back after this break.
1: How much paper do you need to save? Hi, this is Lisa Woodruff, and I'm a professional organizer and productivity expert. And today I'm answering the question, How much of this paper do you need to save? Today's digital age is hard for me to wrap my head around. I mean, when I grew up, everything was in paper and there weren't computers. Do you understand? So we have a lot of paper because that's how we grew up. That's how we were raised. That's how we started our families. But honestly, 80% of what's in your filing cabinet can go. Here's how you tackle that filing cabinet. One file at a time. Take a file, decide what needs to be shredded, what can be recycled, and what needs to be saved, and put your file right back in your filing cabinet. Now your shreddable items can go into a paper bag from the grocery store, and then you could take that full paper bag to any office supply store in the United States and have it shredded for a dollar a pound. So you're looking at about $10 to $15 for a full paper bag way better than shredding each piece of paper yourself. So you can do this one file at a time. Check out the Organize 365 podcast for more on how to get organized as you rock your retirement.
2: Welcome back to the Rock Your Retirement Show. We are talking with Karen Schumacher of AFSARestateplanning.com, and she is going to tell us what documents we need, what everybody needs in order to rock your retirement. So, Karen, welcome back. Thank you so much. So tell me, you deal with the regular people, not the ultra-wealthy, the regular people. So what documents do just regular people like me need to have when they retire or before they retire?
0: The best time to have any of one of these documents that I'm going to go into is any time. If you've done any of the documents before retirement, it is a good time to reevaluate because things change. Nothing, is, nothing remains the same. So that's one of the times that I tell my clients, if you've done an estate plan 10, 15 years ago, and now you're ready to retire, now would be a good time to reevaluate some of the people that you've chosen to be your uh, trustee or executor, people that you've chosen to be your beneficiaries. If you've gotten divorced in the meantime, if you've gotten remarried, any one of these things that could occur before retirement are issues that you want to look at. The five main documents that I work with that really are the standard for my estate plan is it's an advanced health care directive there is a, a power of attorney and that is either springing or immediate and I'll go over that in a minute the release the HIPAA release and either a trust and a pour over will or merely a will and and then if there's a married couple then there's always two wills, but if there's a trust, there's one joint trust. So you will, and after you go through my program or the uh, binder and the documents that I offer is for a married couple, it's approximately 20 different documents. And those are um, periphery documents that are necessary to make the entire plan work. And one of them would be, if you own a home, then we retitle in the name of the trust, which is one absolute necessity in order to make your your trust fully funded and then governed by or making that the lead document that controls all the other documents.
2: Okay, so let's talk about some of these documents. What exactly is an Advanced Healthcare Directive?
0: An Advanced Healthcare Directive is basically your end-of-life wishes. It is a five-page document. It goes over how you would want to End your day should you become incapacitated. And that's why we were talking about before how vital it is that these documents be in place prior to the need, because obviously once the need occurs and it hasn't been done, the the alternative is far more costly, stressful, and time-consuming. And not having them in place, I had a client one time, it was very tragic she was just trying to help her friends. So they were friends, and the, the one, the client, was in dire need of an advanced healthcare directive and a power of attorney because she could no longer make these decisions for herself. I spoke with her alone because confidentiality is extremely vital and very important to me and to the client. And when I spoke to her, it was clear to me as a practitioner that she could not, she was not fully cognizant of everything going around. So then, the, I, with her permission, spoke to the friend that was trying to help her, and I said, "Unfortunately, unless I can get a doctor's declaration that she has capacity, I can't help." And so, the, uh, the next day, I got a fax, and it was from the from the uh, doctor that said, "This person can no longer make decisions for themselves. Please uh, set up a call of attorney," which basically ended any shot she had through the normal means, because now the doctor had pretty much um validated what I had already thought. And so the only way that she could get around to get assistance was through a conservatorship
1: mm. which
0: are seven to eight thousand dollars, very time consuming, stressful, and they could take anywhere from six to twelve months before it even goes into play while their life is going on. So where does the money come from? Because the money is frozen and you run the risk of this elderly person that doesn't have the capacity, you know, spending it, giving it away, doing whatever they want with it, because it still is technically theirs. That is more along the lines of the power of attorney. The advanced healthcare directive is that you tell ahead of time who you would want to make the, your medical decisions and medical decisions only as to if you become terminal or if you become in a coma and it's highly unlikely that that, that the risks far outweigh the benefits of a procedure, then your choice would be to be let go, would be to have no artificial hydration or nutrition. Another option that is part of that is that you want the bare minimum of assistance or help through through medical means, let nature take its course.
2: But you can also do the opposite, right? In those, you can say, this is my wish to have extreme, medical procedures done and use up all my money trying to keep me alive. Right. You can do that.
0: Absolutely. And that's where you get the choice. But if you don't have anything in place, then that's where the, you know, you have the three kids that, you know, two want mom alive and one says, no, forget about it. She's my inheritance. And people do that. And that's why in writing and memorialized, there is no fight. The kid can want whatever the kid wants. It's mom's made the decision well before.
2: Okay. So we've got the advanced healthcare directive and you also mentioned four other documents. What are those other, I think the next one was power of attorney and you said springing or something else. How does that, what is that? Yeah. So there
0: was this, the springing power of attorney is one that only takes place upon uh, incapacity. So you have one and you execute that document, but you say only in the event of incapacity as as diagnosed or as stated by my primary physician or if unavailable two separate physicians that come to the same conclusion that say I'm no longer able to make decisions that is springing immediate is very very powerful and could be dangerous in the wrong hands because that means that the minute the person signs that document the power goes to the agent and the agent is the one that that the principal the one who's Um, Having the document drawn up, they're the ones who is asking for the help from someone else. The principal then chooses the agent, and that agent now has full and unfettered power with your finance.
2: So that's a little scary. So I can see why people would probably want to do springing. So thank you. The only
0: times I did out of all of in my career of the thousands that I wrote up, I was very very cautious about that. The times that I would make a a decision and they were rare because of the, because of the, um, the power that they hold. If you had a husband and wife married 50 years, wife always depended on husband for finances. Anyway, wife was teetering. Then it was like, okay, we already know that they trust each other. The trust is there. And, and it's, I mean, you always take a risk, but this one uh, diminished the risk somewhat. And also um, a mother child, where you knew that the child had the parent's best wishes. And I've seen both in my career um, as a public interest attorney. I saw the worst of the worst and the best of the best in children and um, parents and money.
2: Okay, well, thank you for explaining that springy. Now, you also mentioned something called HIPAA. Is that when my butt gets really big and it's a HIPAA? Hip? But, uh, what is that? The Self-
0: health. Health Insurance uh, Portability and Privacy Act. And that was the one that was set up in 2003. Let me see if I stated that correctly. Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. I apologize. So it's HIPAA. This is what enables, um, because the doctors, uh, the, the legislation came about because there was way too much information and as you well know, there is still way too much information out there. But this is what Congress put through, that states um, you cannot give out this information um, freely and without absolute authority and consent by the party, which is the principal, the one that's giving up the the, uh, the power. And that is necessary. You want to have a standalone there, so that because um, you, you don't know um, how the person is progressing or Uh, digressing, unless you have a benchmark. And so you need to talk to that doctor. Well, if you don't even have the authority to talk to the doctor, because you have not put the document into place, because now the doctor's never made a diagnosis, this HIPAA release will allow the doctor to have you ask them to um, diagnose or to check out what, where they feel the status of the principal is at the
2: time. Okay, well, that's good. I mean, and there are other reasons for HIPAA releases. For example, if you have an insurance agent and you want that person to be able to help you with a claim, they usually have to get one too. So, that. Exactly. Um, thanks for explaining that. Now, you had talked about trusts and wills. So, when would I want a trust, and when would I want a will?
0: There's a lot of different reasons, but bringing it down to the to the most important is if you own a home in California, and or assets above. then a trust will assist in avoiding probate. Probate is if if the threshold of your assets is $150,000 or more, then you pay uh, the court, you pay the Superior Court, probate court, approximately 6 to 10% of the value of your entire estate before all of your assets can be distributed and before probate can be closed, meaning before your life is financially ended.
2: Let me give you an example. Okay, so let's say I own a home, and it's worth $600,000. And I have $10,000 in the bank, and I have a loan against my home for 550000 That means I don't need a will, right?
0: No. And the the misconception with that is is that it's and I love saying this it's my favorite word mortgage notwithstanding, which means that it doesn't the fact that um the mortgage company owns if i got that right five hundred and fifty thousand and you only own fifty thousand of that, you still will be held to the six hundred thousand dollar um value.
2: Oh my of the, gosh. Of the loan. So if I'm yeah. paying 10% of that, I could wind up paying out more than I actually have. How does that work?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And just so we're clear, because everybody always says that, you're not paying it out because you're strumming
2: right a guitar I'm... up in, in the cloud. <laughs> in heaven, right. But exactly. your
0: children are the ones that would re- receive the diminished amount because they have to pay superior court first. And then on top of that, if there's those are for normal fees, if there are any extraordinary fees, like the contest, which welcome to America, um, or if there's any um, special um, issues that come out, like you're going to contest which one of the beneficiaries gets it or doesn't get it. If there comes a kid out of the woodwork that nobody ever knew about, any of those things are extraordinary fees. Those get added on top of that, and then that gets diminished further and further. And the one that makes More of the money is the attorney.
2: Wow. Okay. So if you have over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in gross assets, right, in California, then you definitely need a trust. So thank you for pointing that out. And then what about a will? I mean, I don't need a will because I'm I'm not going to die, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But a will, a will would be if you didn't own a home, if you had a lot of your assets being um, distributed via other means we talked shortly about uh joint tenancy um tenants in common uh there's the new transfer on death deed that uh just came out and came out in january um no no it came out in june of 16. and so they're now seeing quite a few problems with that Um, but those are all ways that you could have your assets could be more valuable than 150 thousand. But because they are uh, distributed via these other modes—joint tenancy, tenants on com- uh, tenants in common, um,
2: uh, or IRA beneficiaries, on death. or IRA beneficiaries, uh, uh, things like that—life insurance,
0: beneficiary, life insurance beneficiary, any one of those, those are called non-probate assets. Then, um, then a will has no bearing on that. Because they're outside of um the will's purview, meaning the will has no control over them because they are distributed in another fashion. life insurance is distributed by the life insurance company. the IRA is by the the um the custodian of the i r a um, joint tenancy is is a contract between two parties that are joint, and when one party dies, the other one keeps the um Keeps the whole, so the the spoils go to the survivor.
2: Great, well, and so, good.
0: And that and that's that's why some people choose the will route. What they don't take into consideration is if they get more money at the end, and they didn't plan it quite properly, or um, if the um, the way that they did plan it caused it to go up above the one hundred fifty thousand. Because we don't know what values are at the time of one's death. So there are certain things, but I I have done plenty of wills in my tenure and they were perfectly viable because, again, why use 10 bells and whistles when one or two works just as well and accomplishes a goal? But that is part of the analysis part. That's not just, I want to get a will because it's cheapest. It's This is what happens if you get a will. This is what happens if you get a trust. And so there's a whole analysis of that. My mantra is that I provide estate plans expertly, efficiently and affordably, because that's real important. It's not just having it there. It's being it's being uh, advised and explained, because that was always my big thing. People would say, yeah, I got one. It's all taken care of. But I just don't understand what this means. And you go and said, did you know that this is what your is going to happen? They go, no, that's not what I wanted. And I said, well, that's what got conveyed or that's that's where it is right now.
2: So it's good to have it reviewed then, right? Exactly. Okay, good. Well, thank you so much for explaining those five documents, which are an advanced healthcare directive, a power of attorney, springing is probably the preference, a HIPAA form, a trust, and either a pour over will or a regular will, depending on whether you have a trust. So how can my listeners get in contact with you?
0: Uh, The best way is to go through, if they have internet access, is through my website because it has all of the other information that I have. I have a monthly newsletter that I send out to people. Um, It has my phone number on there. It has brief questions and answers. It has blogs. It has picture. and, And I'm, because I work very long and very hard, and I will tell you that I am very proud that the other branding that I have is, I love polar bears. And so the first picture that's on there is a beautiful polar bear.
2: That's great, but what's, what is your website address? <laughs> and the website address.
0: <laughs> I get so excited about my polar bear. The website address is www.ofstarestateplanning.com.
2: And how do you spell Offstar?
0: A is an apple, that's what I tell everybody. A is an apple, F is in Frank, S is in Sam, A is an apple, R is in rabbit.
2: Okay, great. So that's afsarstateplanning.com, And you can find out all about Karen by going to that website. And Karen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you explaining those five documents that everybody needs to have. Thanks. Thank
0: you so much for having me.
2: Thank you. And for the listener, we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement.
1: Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement Show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com.